Hi, I'm Terry, Instagram's sassy sober mum. Welcome to my podcast, Sober Stories from Everyday People, bringing you stories from people just like you and I. The aim of this podcast is to share our experiences with drinking and how we got and stayed successfully sober. Just before we jump into the episode this week, I wanted to share a little bit about the Thrive community that I run. It's a place where many like-minded women go to connect and share their experience with getting and staying successfully sober. There are different sections like the main Thrive community feed where people post about things that are up and coming or about challenges they're facing and they get incredible support from other members of the group. It really is a special, special place to be right now. There are also sections to share your milestones because every win, even the really small ones, are a big thing to celebrate and we acknowledge that. There are five events, there are the weekly Zoom recordings, so you can go back and see all the weekly Zoom meetings and all the topics that have been covered in those meetings at your own leisure. There's a share sober tips section and then there are group chats for the first 30 days, the first 100 days, the first year and over a year. There's a knowledge hub as well. And in the knowledge hub, you'll find a place for books and book recommendations. There's a section of how to survive the first 30 days. So if you come in completely brand new to getting sober, you can hit the ground running and find tools and information to get a structure set up for yourself from the outset. There's also my Thrive Sober program, there's a toolkit, there's understanding the brain science and a space to read and learn about all the topics under emotional sobriety, most of which have been written by myself. So come into Thrive. If you're thinking about it or you're lacking community, I would say just jump in and go for it and maybe we'll see you in there soon. Hello and welcome to Sober Stories from Everyday People. Today I'm going to be talking to Donna who's in Bracken in Wales and she's been sober for 74 days which is amazing Donna and thank you so much for coming on my show and sharing your story. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. I'm really excited about your story, actually, because you are 74 days in, and typically most of my guests are are over 100 days. Quite often, they're quite a few months, if not years in. So I feel like we have an opportunity here together to explore that very early bit of sobriety and to get the nitty-gritty of it, Um, but also for listeners that are you know, maybe in their first week, weeks, hopefully they'll, they'll gain some inspiration from this conversation. Oh, I hope so. Yeah, that's, that's the aim, isn't it? That's, <laughs> that's the aim. <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, so Donna, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay. Well, I'm Donna. Um, I'm 47. 
Um, as you said, I live in I live in Brecon in the Brecon Beacons in Wales, um, a lovely little town. Um, I grew up here and moved back here um, a few years ago to be with my family. Um, I have two children. My son William, he's twenty seven. He lives up in Scotland. He's got his own um, little restaurant going going on up there, cooking on fire and stuff. So I'm super super proud of him. And my daughter is fifteen. She's just um, just going through GCSEs, um, um, but yeah, she's she's really you know she's had a tough few years, and I'm you know really incredibly proud of her too. Um, but she's fifteen, and she's she's a joy to live with most of the time. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm a I have my own little business. I'm a specialist um, neurodiversity virtual assistant. Um, I've been doing that for a couple of years now. Um, yeah, and that's 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 me in a nutshell. The virtual assistant, that's um kind of admin, PA, that type of yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. And what so what's the neurodivergent element there then? Do you work for particular charities or are you neurodivergent? What what's no, no, my clients are neurodivergent. Okay. So um, mainly my clients have ADHD. So I support them in, in the workplace. Um, I do like the general admin and, you know, that kind of thing, like like what a PA would do for them. But we also do like techniques like body doubling, um, you know, because they've got time blindness and, you know, accountability and stuff like that. So we work together on those kind of things too. Oh, it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, I've not, um, I yeah. I've not, I've not, I've not, I've never heard of that before. You know, so that's a first for me. You know, yeah, haven't. Yeah, it's brilliant. That's really good, and especially I don't know about you whether how much your background is in 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 this area, but I've I've noticed on the sober scene, especially uh, for women, a lot of women are getting diagnosed later in life with with ADHD or sort of in thirties and and forties. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, 30s, 40s, 50s even. Um, and I think partly that was that was like post-COVID, a lot of people had time to stop and, you know, think about themselves and, you know, realising, you know, they had all this time to do all this research and realising. Um, so, you know, went to get a diagnosis. So I've talked to so, so many women about it and it's really very common Um mm in neurodiversity as well you know that kind of addictive personality yeah. going on there um and it's really tough it's it's really tough for people to be diagnosed later in life because it's you know a lot of people I spoke to said it's like a grieving process they get this diagnosis and they realize that you know what's been going on for 30 40 years and it's kind of, kind of like grieving for the person that you thought that you were yeah. And then having to learn who you are when you begin unmasking all of all of that. So yeah, it's really it's a really tough process when when you get diagnosed later on. Yeah, I can I can understand that there is definitely complexity there in that. Mm. Um, um, but also as well, I one I wondered, I have wondered about this because I have some friends that have been diagnosed with ADHD at our ages now, and I wonder whether there is also that feeling of relief in some ways or that yes. you're not broken you're not strange you're not you're not different really in that you your brain just works in a slightly different way to the norm but you know that's not your fault kind of thing and it's it's exactly. sort of yeah yeah because you know 
really from our era when we talk about ADHD, we grew up thinking, well, ADHD is just a naughty child. You know, that's what we were were sort of kind of led to believe. It's like a naughty child. You know, there's nothing wrong with them. ADHD, what's that? Um, So, yeah, it is kind of like, God, you know, there was nothing wrong with me. Um, And especially for women, it's really difficult. There's no research out there. All the research on ADHD is based on young boys. There's no research on women and how it affects them, especially when they become menopausal and older. So, you know, there really needs to be a, a lot more done in terms of yeah. women to understand the effects that, that ADHD has on them. Yeah. Yeah, fascinating. Really fascinating. It is really fascinating. I could talk about it all day. <laughs> yeah, it, I, I am interested in it. It is It is fascinating. And, and yeah, like I said, it d- does seem to become... It's becoming more of a conversation, which is good, which is a brilliant. It is really good. Um, yeah. So talking about um, drinking then, what did your what did your life look like? What did your world look like with alcohol? Take me back to the beginning. Gosh, my life with alcohol. Okay, so I um, my parents didn't really drink. You know, I didn't grow up with, you know, surrounded by alcohol. I mean, my mum tells me my dad used to drink, but I think he stopped really drinking before, you know, I could even remember. I mean, he, he'll have an occasional drink. And my mum's not a big drinker. You know, she has a drink. It'll be a vodka and lime cordial, which is sure, I can assure you is awful. Um, you know, she'll have one or two and that's her max. And so she does, you know, I never grew up with alcohol. Um, I think I probably started drinking when I was about 16, you know, but that was the usual growing up in the 90s, socially acceptable. You went out on a Friday and Saturday night, you got drunk. Um, it wasn't out of the ordinary. And I think, and then in my 20s, it, it wasn't really huge for me then either. I mean, I drank, mm-hmm. but it wasn't out of control. It wasn't particularly binge drinking. Um, I had my son quite young. I was 20. You know, and I, I didn't drink wine then. I was just like, I was a cider girl or, you know, a, a white wine and lemonade. Um, when I've like looked back a lot recently, I think, yeah, it was really in my 30s when the drinking really started. Um, after I had my daughter, actually, and then I, I was on to my second husband um, and he really hated me drinking spritzers. So he kind of like got me out of that so I started drinking like wine white wine and then red wine um just my cracks I just yeah not good on that um and then my daughter went to school and I think that's really when the drinking took off you know it was like wine Wednesday mum's wine uh Friday so she went to this little school in a village that had a pub so on a Friday especially in the summer we'd pick the kids up We'd sit in the pub garden, the wine would be flowing, laughter, you know, and it was it was a great time. Um, Then I'd go home and continue drinking, you know, and then it'd be Saturday. It's like, yes, Saturday, let's go for a pub lunch. So, you know, you'd start drinking then and then that wouldn't stop. Um, You know, and then we'd have we didn't we didn't particularly go out out very often, but we definitely we'd have dinner parties and we'd have people over and. You know, I'd I'd be drinking a lot. I couldn't, you know, it wouldn't, I would drink until there was no drink. Yeah. You know, left. And then I'd be like, do I pop to the shop? And then realising I'm too drunk, really, to be able to walk to the shop. But I would have really gone mm. if I was capable, you know. Mm. Um, 
and it was and I was kind of you know known as a big drinker you know oh it's Donna she's she's on the wine again you know she's she's drinking um and then my husband my second husband then he left we got made redundant and one of our school mums she passed away with cancer and we got made redundant and then it was a just it was a really horrible mixed up time and and he was depressed and he left he left me for a short while and I just went all I could describe at the time I just went batshit crazy you know didn't know what to do with myself and then I wasn't eating properly um, which was like my normal default when things went went wrong in my life I kind of would reduce my food intake but I was increasing the wine I was really drinking really heavily um it wasn't healthy I was having like really dark thoughts um and it was a friend of mine at the time actually said we need to go to the doctors I was like I do I need help. Mm-hmm. So we went to doctors. She put me on antidepressants, but it wasn't help with the drinking. It was helping with the depression rather than, you know, no one ever said, you've got a problem. I never thought I had a problem. Um, so she put me on antidepressants and it kind of got better, but I was still drinking. Um, and then my husband and I, he, we got back together you know, three or four months later Um stupidly because neither of us were happy but we just went through these years of just living together and you know it was okay I was drinking you know and it was it wasn't always every day I mean I would try you know remember when they recommended you back in the day have three nights off and then you're fine you know or at least that's how you interpreted it you have three nights off and then for the rest of the week you could drink as much as you like it was what I heard and that's what I did you know, I was still exercising. I was running half marathons and things. I mean, I was in my 30s. I could still do that. You know, it's not until you hit your 40s you realise you can't actually sustain things like that. So I was feeling okay. Um, like I said, I wasn't happy in, in my marriage. Um, nor was he, to be fair. It wasn't a nice environment particularly. And I went on holiday. It was um, I don't know, September, October 2019 is that the year before covid I always get my years mixed up yeah, or just before covid yeah and she was like you are a one unhappy lady and I was like you know what I am you know I've got to do something about this so I had made the decision I thought right this this marriage can't continue we're making everybody around us miserable um I've got to do something about it so I thought I'll wait till after Christmas again lots of alcohols the best time of year for someone who likes to drink isn't it it's like that yeah you've got your pass for the whole month um and then just before I was about to do a COVID hit which was then you know we're all stuck in a house together um my son was actually in India at the time traveling and we were like you need to come home India is really not a great place well nowhere was a great place to be when COVID hit so he came home and we had this very small three-bedroom Victorian end-of-terrace house, you know, bathroom downstairs, which was lovely, but three adults and a child during COVID was not great and it just was not fun for anybody. Um, But we just, you know, we carried on. I mean, and COVID was like my excuse, you know, Mm. putting the alcohol in, you know, and I know I wasn't alone in that. There were so many people that did it. You know, we used to have gin o'clock, you know, Boris is coming on the telly soon. Let's pour a drink, sit down with the crisp and dips and watch what Boris has to say. 
Um, and that was every day. You know, the sun was shining. You know, the alcohol was flowing. When I finished with the gin, I'd move on to the wine. And there was probably no days off during that time. You know, it was, it was, I was doing it hard. Um, but then, you know, it was almost like, again, it was a pass. It was COVID. It was unusual. You know, everybody was drinking. Everybody was doing the same. It was socially acceptable. Well, actually, you didn't have to see anyone, did you? Yeah. Or like quiz nights. I don't know if you did that. Quiz nights. Quiz nights um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, quiz nights were larry things. I, I mean, I, actually, I wasn't drinking then. And I, I, I was, I remember thinking, I'm so glad I don't drink because COVID <sighs> would have, I would have just, it would have just been nonstop, nonstop party yeah. time, yeah. basically. And I, I really remember the quizzes. I really, and the clinking of the, and everybody was, was doing it pretty much. Yeah. Or at least exactly. it felt like way. So you didn't feel like you were doing something wrong. You didn't feel like you no. had a problem. You would like yeah. join the club and you were all in it together. So it was okay. Um, but then my daughter, I had noticed during the first lockdown, I had noticed that she had to, she had started to reduce food intake and I noticed it because you know I'd been through that there are stages of my life before so I was like okay this this is not a good situation um and then when they did go back to school in between she passed out at school so I was like right we're, we're going to the doctors now anyway, long story short she was diagnosed with anorexia um mm. and she was in hospital for a couple of weeks she was they, they tube fed her um, and it was a really horrible time. My, my husband, her father, didn't know how to deal with it. So he kind of went into this hole um, and I kind of have this natural default when it comes to if there's a problem, I've got to, I've got to sort it out. I've got to, you know, deep dive into everything. I, I, knowledge is power for me. I needed mm. to know everything. I, you know, I worked for the um, Surrey University in Guildford at the time and they have um, a really great centre of well-being, and they ran all these courses um, you know, about um, disabilities and suicide awareness and anorexia and all these things. So I just did all that, and I became a mental health first aider and everything. I just, you know, wanted to know what I could do to help her. Um, you know, I was spending most days and evenings with her. I wasn't allowed to stay overnight. Um, so I wasn't drinking in the evenings, but certainly when I left the hospital, you know, I'd had that call with my mum on the drive back, hands-free, obviously, um, you know, tears. And if there wasn't wine at home, I would stop at the garage and I'd get wine and I would, I would get that bottle down. You know, it was late at night, you know, 10, and half 10 when I'd get home, but that bottle was going down. Yeah. You know, because I needed it, obviously, yeah. you know, that was get me through it and that's how I felt you know it's a coping yeah. mechanism which I now recognize totally. um so she she came out of hospital um you know she was on and off okay um weight gain weight loss weight gain weight loss so we were like under cams and then in the March the following year so about four months after the hospital admission my husband's finally like you know what I'm out you know, I've, I've, I've met someone else and I was like, I was so relieved. And I was like, thank God for that. I mean, it was a slight sting in the tail at the end, but I was just really relieved that this, you know, this is over. 
So he left. Um, Isla actually got quite a lot better for a time. And then there was some friendship group issues and she got really poorly again. And we were selling the house and I thought, someone suggested it was a friend from back home. She was like, why why don't you just move home? And I was like, yeah, why why don't I just move home? That's makes so much sense so I I chatted to the kids and they were like absolutely this you know I wouldn't have done it if Isla especially because Will had moved wasn't really living at home you know she was like I think that's a really great idea mum let's do that so we did Um, we moved in the August the house was sold but it was going through we moved in with my mum and my stepdad I mean I was still drinking you know it wasn't it wasn't quite as bad but I was still drinking wine regularly um, we moved in with mum. My mum took one look at my daughter, who was by this stage really poorly, and she went straight to our little hospital in, in town to the CAMS department, and they saw her the same day, and they admitted her again into hospital, tube-fed, and then after that she was, well, after that, sort of during that time, we got a phone call, my, and my brother had passed away, Suddenly, overnight, he 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 died in his sleep. He was in Africa working, um, and our, our world stopped basically just mm-hmm. right there in in that moment. Our worlds just absolutely stopped. Um, so, you know, our cams worker was kind of like Isla needed to be admitted to um, a psychiatric ward, basically. But she kind of held off from doing that because she knew exactly what we were going through. I think she felt, you know, oof, one more push. Um, but eventually she had to be. So I had to go to this um, young person's hospital in Bridgend, which is about an hour or so away from us. And that was just awful, really awful. Um and then my drinking really, really took off again. You know, I'd, I'd go down and visit her. I'd come back, you know, just to be drinking the wine. Um, my, like I said, my mum didn't really drink, but my stepdad, he'd drink. I think we were, we were quite bad for each other, really, because, you know, if one was having a drink, the other would have a drink. Or if I was having a night off, he said, do you want a drink? I'd go, oh, if you are, you know. Um, and I kind of was getting away with it, I suppose. My mum would make a few comments, but obviously with my brother dying, it was kind of like nobody was going to take take that on. Um, and then I moved into the house that I bought, Ida and I moved in, and then I was kind of free, you know, no one was watching, um, especially in sort of when I was in and out of hospital, I was here on my own and I could drink as much as I wanted. Mm. Um you know, the only time anyone would know is if I'd sent someone a message. You know, that feeling when you wake up the next day and you look at your floor, you're just that cold sweat when you think, oh, God, I messaged somebody last night. Who was it? What did I say? And that dread when you pick up your phone and you look at it and you think, oh, God, how am I going to talk my way out of this one? You know, just the shame, the shame of it, you know, the things you'd say and the things you'd do I mean mean, I've always been quite opinionated and outspoken but give me wine and I don't deliver it quite so tactfully um you know I could be an asshole I wasn't particularly a nice drunk um it makes me cringe thinking about it now really makes me cringe um and it just it just spiraled um 
But really lovely, a nice thing that came out of a bad, really bad thing is um, at my brother's funeral, I met up with um, Frank, who is was my brother's best man at his first wedding about 27 years ago. And our paths are kind of crossed over the years. Um, but this time we were both single. So, you know, this lovely romance kind of blossomed from, from there. Um, so that was great and that was going good. Um, I finally started, you know, getting on board with getting better. Um, she was getting stronger. She was getting well. Um, last year was amazing. You know, she didn't really do year nine at school, but, you know, she did year 10. She was well. Um, this last year, yeah, she's just been amazing. She's been discharged from CAMS. You know, mm-hmm. I've got this lovely relationship. Frank moved in, um, officially moved in last April. So that that was great, you know. But I was still drinking. Mm. Yeah, still drinking and it was getting worse and worse. And I can pinpoint it, actually, because I was doing Sober October the year before last. And I got like a week or so in it. And I'm like, yeah, great. But because I committed myself to it, I was like, God, I can't have a drink because everybody's watching and then for some foolish reason, I poured myself a gin and uh, sparkling water. I mean, it, that's disgusting, right? But be- I know it's, it is really disgusting, but that's what I did because then people just thought I was having a glass of water. So you and were then, having the drinks, but sort of pretending to do the Sober October, have I? Yeah, yeah so yeah, so everyone's like, oh, you're doing really well. I'm like, so I'm lying to them, and but, you know, lying to myself as well, you know, pretending to myself that I wasn't having a drink. So it kind of really started badly in that, that October. Um, and then it, it got into a kind of habit where, you know, come five o'clock, I finished work, have a little gin and water, no one's looking, you know, and then it would get to Thursday and I'd go, oh, I've not drunk all week. I deserve a glass of wine. And then it would be a bottle of wine. But then I'd buy two bottles of wine in case when I'd finished the bottle of wine, I wanted another one. Because, yeah, you know, understand I understand that well. Yeah. Yeah. I needed another one. And it wouldn't have been another one. It would have been another bottle, really. Yeah. Um, so I did that really on and off for a whole whole year. Um you know, waking up three, four o'clock in the morning, horrible thoughts like, why, why? You know, you weren't going to drink. Why did you do it? Then you were only going to have one. Why did you have more? Because, you know, it's like you have one, you think, well, I'm just going to have one. And then that one made you feel good. It's like, oh, I've got to have another one. Just mm. one more. And then it was one more after that. And it was just a horrible cycle you know, I'd, I'd get up, the alarm would go off, you know, I'd still function, I'd, I'd get on the cross train at six o'clock in the morning, I'd do my exercise, I'd feel a bit ropey, but that would kind of sort me out, I did my working day, my business was going well, I was functioning what I thought really, really well. Yeah. And now I, you know, I, I know differently. Um, so yeah, that's, that's really my drinking, yeah. which was not you know I was oh god I think I I calculated it I was like oh god how many calories was I drinking a week you know because I was always feeling bloated and horrible on a diet couldn't lose weight although we we don't use the word diet in the house Mm. um and it was like thousands I'm like yeah that'll be it then 
thousands yeah. of calories. And yet that still wasn't enough to stop me actually doing it. Yeah. Then. And it wasn't enough then. It wasn't enough then. Yeah, it was it was literally eat, drink, sleep, yeah. repeat. Yeah. You know, even yeah. though I'd woke up that morning with a full intention of I am not going to drink today. Yes. And I would get there with my sneaky bottle of gin that hides underneath my desk. You yeah. know, no one can see me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting the way that you um, describe that period of your life. I can, I can, I can hear the shame in the way yeah. that you explain it. And I do, I do think that that is that is a very tricky part of the earlier journey. Is is when you've got a certain way in, but not a really maybe big way in. And again, I hate, I don't like putting timelines on these things because it is different for everyone, but just so that you understand what I mean and people listening understand what I mean. I do feel like there is such, there is such a lack of knowledge when you're in that trap of how trapped you are in the the brain conditioning that's going on without you knowing the dopamine that's being hit your brain the minute you think of having the wine even though you know you didn't want it but by the very fact you're even thinking of it you get the dopamine hit bang the brain is reminding you hey don't forget we need to get that drink at at, at six o'clock tonight because that's what we do because the brain is saying I have learned that I need this thing for survival. Therefore, yeah. I want this so much. You don't know that when you're in it. And sometimes Not you don't even really know that, even in the early bit of the journey when you've gone so far. It's over time, I think, when you start to mm. understand the relationship of alcohol and the brain and almost how out of control you are in those situations. It, it, I think that it helps over time I think that helps you to look at that time of your life or that version of yourself with more compassion because for you you've had you know a lot on your plate you've had a lot of things that have been going on like many like all of us we all have our own worlds and 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 challenges in our own worlds don't we and we all get into this habit of drinking because it's socially acceptable because it's it's, it's almost socially pushed on you. You know, you know that Absolutely. better than yeah. anything when you try to stop drinking because everyone yeah. then starts to freak out. Like, why are you doing that? But I just think that there is, you know, it is a coping mechanism and it is something that you learn to rely on. But it is something that you, as humans, we feel so much shame for that. But it's almost like learning to detach ourselves, you know, in those situations when we are, our brain is essentially addicted to alcohol and it's conditioned to want it for survival, uh-huh. it's, unless you know that, it's very difficult to make a different, to, to, to make a different choice. In Absolutely. That you know, it's, I don't know if I'm explaining myself very well, but... No, I'm, there you are. And I think people that have never been drinkers don't get that. 100%. No disrespect to them. They just yeah. they don't understand yeah. because it's very simple. You know, people say to me, well, just don't have another drink. Don't have a drink. And I'm like, but I want one. You know, you, you, yeah. but I, that, that's what I do to relax. That's what I do yeah. to cope. That's, you know, that suppresses my feelings. I mean, I wouldn't have said that. Or God, yeah. like a rag to a ball, red rag. If someone had said to me, don't you think you've had enough? Yeah. And I'm like, 
<laughs> you think that was enough to you or you've seen nothing yet and that would just send me off I'd be like all right where's another bottle I'm off you know that yes. would have just, yes. just sent me and yeah. now I'm just, yeah yeah people preaching but you have to be you have to be a drinker or have been a drinker to understand how dark that place is yeah I just I share so much of that feeling you know when you were talking about gin and water and almost you know isn't that pathetic I was having gin and water sort of thing um I I remember that those kinds of conversations that I had with myself as well that were with a similar tone of just a bit of disdain, quite quite embarrassed, yeah. obviously a lot of shame. And then as I progressed on this journey and, like I said, learned what I could about alcohol and, and, and kind of dug into the reasons why I drank and looked at, tried to look at that part of my life or, or certainly the year or two leading up to me stopping drinking where maybe the drinking got a bit a bit you know, a bit, a bit bigger. Um, mm. And I just, when I look at that version of myself now, I was a single parent um, and I had a six month old baby and wow. two year old. And Gosh. it felt like the rug had been pulled from under my feet. I was not expecting this breakup, um, even though in hindsight, it was the best thing that happened. But at the time yeah. I was, I was not expecting it. And I was really, really struggling. And when I look back at that, and I was, I was basically making decisions at that time that I was very embarrassed about in the early bit of sobriety. I was very ashamed of. When I look back at that version of myself now, I love that version of myself so much. I, feel, I, I, I just want to go back and give her a hug. I just yeah. think you've got so much going on. You don't have any good solid healthy coping mechanisms a lot of that was born out of where you came from and childhood and all these different things but you know you've got to where you've got to in life and you're in this situation and this is this, this other really big challenge and you're not coping and you're drinking because it's the only thing that yeah. makes you feel good temporarily and yeah. that was worth it for me in that moment, even despite, and, you know, obviously then you would wake up, you'd have the shame, you'd have all the anxiety, you'd wake up the next morning and think, oh my God, who have I messaged? This is so embarrassing. And then mm. you would put yourself down all day, all day, yeah. and you'd get so much that actually by six o'clock, just have a drink because it takes it all yeah. away. Yeah. <laughs> I, think exactly. it, I think it's just like, when we look at that, when we look at it objectively and we take away all that shame and all that emotion that we feel for ourselves, when we look at that objectively, you can see why that person in that scene is doing that behaviour and making those yeah. choices. And that's the only thing that I wanted to kind of bring out there just because, and, and I think you will, you, you, you will definitely, as you grow on this journey, I think you'll move through different feelings and different phases. Oh, God, absolutely. Get, yeah, get, get to that place of it's almost like getting to that place of acceptance and forgiveness because what you were doing is not shameful behavior. What you were doing was you were just trying to cope with what was going on. You did. Yeah, I kind of liken it to I was doing the best that I could at exactly. that time. Exactly. And that was, that was all I could do. Yeah, exactly. And I think, and even I don't maybe I'll change my mind but I don't I look back and I think yeah I was doing the best I could 
I don't know if I could have got through that at that time if I didn't have the one. I'm sure I could have if I, you know, really put my mind to it and gone down a different avenue. But at that time, that's what helped me get through it. Yes. You know, it was Definitely. awful. You know, there was so much pain, so much emotion going on in so many different places. Yeah. That's all I could do was yeah. drink. Exactly. Exactly. But, and equally, those sorts of uh, periods... And as that almost like that shame pot starts to build up and feel like that lid bursts off, that is then the thing that brings you to the place where you say enough is enough. It's yeah. almost like you can't you can't get there really without that in a way. Do you know what I mean? In some ways, you if you don't have those very hard times or that or those very, very uncomfortable feelings. And all of that shame and all of those things, you don't end up on the doorstep of getting sober. You just, you know, what happens, what's the alternative to that? You know, worst case, you just carry on. Yeah, which is not sustainable. In a way, yeah. You know, drink yourself to death. Yeah. So talking about arriving at the doorstep (laughs) of sobriety, (laughs) what was the thing that really made it happen for you? I think it wasn't any, it was a combination of things, really. Um, like I said, that whole year, I was really mainly waking up every day going, why am I doing this? You know, mm-hmm. why are you doing this to yourself? Your life, you know, your life is brilliant. You know, you've got your, your daughter's well, she's doing well at school, your son's restaurant has been great you know he's brilliant you've got this fantastic you know Frank is fantastic you know there's such supportive so much love why are you still doing this um and it got to and I was really feeling it in in September is when I really thought I've got to 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 do something about this and then again eat drink sleep repeat and then my mum was really poorly and they thought we thought it might be cancer and I just remember getting off the phone it was late September and she was really upset and I just said to Francis I can't I said I can't do this I said I I, you know I felt like my chest was tight and I was like I I have got so much inside me that I need to get out I can't if my mum has cancer this is massive I can't I can't deal with this I can't take it on I can't do anything about this situation because I'm full I'm so full of things and I need to get to get it out and he was like okay so what are you gonna do and I mean I had I'd had a couple of glasses of wine when I was saying this I'm like I'm gonna get myself a counsellor you know I need to talk to somebody that's not involved I need to do this so I did some research I'm like yeah she looks great emailed her woke up the next day I was like oh god I emailed somebody last night but she emailed me back I, I don't to this day and want to know what it was I actually said to her in this inquiry form, but she was like, you know, this was, I think it was a Tuesday morning. She got, I've got an appointment on Thursday, you know, do you want it? I was like, yes, I want it. Um, so it was, that was early October and it, and it wasn't at that time, it wasn't about alcohol. It was about, I need to like the past 10 years, I need to talk about, you know, my ex-husband, I need to talk about Isla, I need to talk about my brother, I need to get all of this out to be able to move forward. Um, thankfully, as it turns out, my mum doesn't have cancer. She had a prolapsed disc and had to be have emergency surgery for that. So thank God, you know, she's okay. But that 
you know, one way <laughs> it led me to a counsellor. Um, and then it was November. It still took till November. Um, and it was just an ordinary weekend. Again, lots of drink. Um, Frank's youngest daughter had been here. It was a lovely, we put the Christmas tree up and then I had a, I had a counselling meeting at 10 o'clock on the Monday morning and I drank too much on the Sunday and I never really liked drinking, liked drinking on the Sunday because of work on the Monday, like clear head, but I didn't wake up with a clear head and I just walked in, she started to say something and I just went, I drink too much. And then she went, oh, I've been waiting for this. And I was like, okay. She went, before you start, let me just tell you that I'm 10 years sober. And I was like, fantastic. And then I just verbal diarrhoeed about everything. And I told her unashamedly everything. You know, she doesn't know me outside of those four walls. She does, she's not a member of my family, she's not a friend. She's just someone I could tell everything. And it felt amazing to be able yeah. to finally be honest with myself as much and to say it out loud. And that's what's really important, I think, from all of this is to say it out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talked through what we could do and I was and so I said oh you know actually I do have some gin under my desk she was like go home and pour it away I was like yeah I might just leave it she went pour it away <coughs> excuse me so I was like okay so I did I came home and I poured that away and funny enough we've got lots of like whiskey and gin and stuff that are open but I don't touch that stuff this because this was mine you know, mm. it's weird. I don't, that doesn't bother me, the stuff in there, in the kitchen. It doesn't bother me, but this was my little stash. You know, nobody mm. knew about it. It was all mine. So I did. I poured it away. I rang Frank, told him, yeah, I, I didn't tell him everything that I'd said to the counsellor at that point because I just wasn't ready. I rang my son, said, look, you know, I've got a drinking problem. Um, you know, it's, it's, I, I'm giving up, I'm giving up alcohol. And he's like, that's brilliant. And I was very much like, because for me, even a short time ago, I didn't want to give up alcohol. I wanted to give it up until I could learn to moderate. Yeah. Because I loved my alcohol. And in my head, I'm like, absolutely, few months. I didn't even think that. It was just like, yeah, not putting a timeline up. Just until I know I can moderate and then I will have a yeah. drink. Yeah. Um, so I was just very much of, uh, I don't know if I'm always going to be sober, whether this is for a now thing, I just know it's a for me thing for now. And he was so supportive. Isla came home from school, I told her, because I feel like, for me, I need to say it out loud. I need yeah. to be held. I don't want anyone to hold me accountable, but if I said it out loud, it was committing it. It's real, not just it? myself. Yeah, to everybody. So that's what I did. Um, and I think the next person I told was my mum and I was really nervous about that because you know for me I didn't I didn't want anyone to remind me of how shameful I'd been or you know to say well yes you do drink too much you know that was going to be unhelpful for me so like before mm-hmm. we before I started the conversation my mum, there's something I want to talk to you about but I want you to understand that I'm not inviting feedback you cannot say anything you just need to listen to me and just support me and I so I said it and she was of course very supportive but I was expecting that little whip at the end going but you do drink too much but she did she didn't so I just started it you know building my little support 
yeah. group. I mean, she did say to me, actually, she went, what do we do um, if you say, oh, I think I want a drink? I was like, well, I don't know I'm going to do that. I don't know what you should do. Encourage me not to have that drink, but I, I'm sure it, I'm sure it'd be fine. Oh, bless her. <laughs> <laughs> Half petrified that I'd bite her head off and say, it's nothing to do with you and like not even put my wine in the glass, drink it straight from the bottle. It's probably what she was yeah. worried about. Um, so yeah, that, that was it. That was the start of my, so it was never, it wasn't, a, it was just a lot of things. Yeah. A lot of things meeting all at the same time. And it, and it's, it was having the counsellor for me, yeah. having that space. Brilliant. It's, it's almost fate, isn't it? Those sorts of things. Yeah. I find that. Yeah. Brilliant that she was sober as well and so that she you know she had been on that journey or she's on that journey herself but so much more maturity in her journey so she can just be very you know she probably spotted it in fact you know she, she, did, well, she did say she said oh I wondered when we get to it and I was like yeah, yeah. <laughs> interesting that's so interesting yeah. I really liked the boundary that you put in place when you told people you told your mom I think that's genius just you know just letting them know I'm going to tell you something but it's I'm not inviting feedback this is I just need to tell you and you just need to listen I just think that's such a great boundary whether you whether you were aware of that or not in that moment um because I do think you are fragile about that stuff in the beginning like you say you don't there's already cracks right you don't need somebody with a little hammer just to sort of bang on those cracks and make them chasms in your confidence and your resolve. And it's just important, I think, that people are supportive. And unfortunately, sometimes people aren't supportive of those things, you know, and that's... that's no, I haven't, yeah, I haven't come across that, thankfully. Everybody has been so supportive. And that's that, great. that is really important. You need, yeah. you need that network, however small or however big you want that to be it's really really important yes yes and so what sorts of things did you do so you told obviously you uh said it out loud again really really like that um and you and and that kind of gave you some accountability but but then what happened on the next day you know what sorts of things did you did you do to support yourself to help yourself um I started um I was actually, I messaged my sister as well. So my sister, Amy, she lives in New Zealand. Um, and I messaged her, like, because our time zones, I thought I can't tell her over a phone call. So I, I just did this message and told her all about it. And she came back, she went, oh, that's brilliant. And she sent me loads, of, you, she sent me you on, you know, look at this, look at this. So I just started to just, like, follow, follow, follow. You know, I needed to know that there were other people. Um, and I just, yeah... That was important to me to know there was other people out there. Um, what was also important to me is I didn't want to change anything. I didn't want anything around me to change. I didn't want everyone throwing away their alcohol. I didn't want anyone talking about me behind my back. That would have just been horrible. I was like, if anybody wants to know anything, ask me. Because if I find out you've been talking about me, wait for tide. Um I didn't want, and I was very like with my sisters because we were a very close family. We do a lot of socialising together. I said, if you're going to the pub, you still invite me. I still want to come. Just because I'm not having a drink doesn't mean I don't want to be there. If you come over for dinner, 
bring your wine. Don't do anything different, please, because I don't want to feel different. If I feel different, I don't think I can get through this. I need to just be normal just without being drunk. Yeah. I, I love, I love that. I think that um, this is where everybody does sobriety in a way that suits them and that there is no one size fits all. No. I think that's so important. If you have that really strong feeling that you, the design that you've got in your mind of what you want it to be and what it to look and what it to feel like, you need to go for that. And that sounds exactly yeah. like what you've done. And for people listening that feel like, well, I couldn't do it that way. You know, I would need to do it differently. That's also okay. I think this is the thing. I think sometimes, sometimes there can be unnecessary hang-ups about the way. There is obviously advice that you can give if people seek it, um, and and there are some things that tend to be useful in those situations. But I think I was quite like I was like you in that I just I felt like from the starting blocks I had a clear idea of what I wanted to to do and and how I wanted to fit in and what was okay and what wasn't. And I don't know whether that just came from a place I was like you as well in that it wasn't a huge, big rock bottom thing that happened for me. I just, I woke up on a day and I realized I'd had enough and that was that, (laughs) you know, it was just like, I can't do this anymore um sort of thing like for you you walked into your counselor's office and cried about it I had to drive home really hungover where I was probably over the limit and just felt a yeah. lot of shame both those things are you know they're, they're just the things that got us to the the door point you know yeah. to the point. yeah exactly but I think what that you know what strikes me there is that and what's important the message that's important here I think is that if you have a strong feeling of how you want things to be, you should embrace that. And you did that naturally, but for other people listening, maybe there is some fear about not embracing what they feel in their heart is the right thing to do because it doesn't seem to fit the mold. But that's the point. There is no real mold. There is, do you know what I mean? I think, yeah. Yes, I think that's Try different things. You're not going to know until you try different coping mechanisms. And for that, that for me worked. And then I went into like a a major, like ordering non-alcoholic wine from various places. Um, It's like, I mean, you know, because it was very much routine for me. So I'd finish work, then I'd go in the kitchen and start the dinner. So never to pour a glass of red wine. So I've got some non-alcoholic red wine and, took me a week or two to get over the fact that the non-alcoholic red wine wasn't going to taste like red wine. Yeah. And the first time I tried it, I was really angry about it. You know, I was like this huge disappointment because I expected it to just taste like wine without me getting drunk and it didn't. So once I got over that, it's actually quite nice if you find, you know, find one like that you like. So I've just kept that in my routine. And certainly for the first month, that was big. You know, I was probably drinking a bottle of non-alcoholic wine every evening. That's got less and less now. Yeah. Because um, even then I was thinking, is this really right to be drinking? Yeah. <laughs> and then the disappointment also with so many non-alcoholic wines that actually have alcohol in 
Mm. You know, I want zero percent. I don't want zero point five because I know I'm not going to get drunk on that. But it's still got alcohol in, and I don't want it. Um, yeah. So you know, kind of say what it does on the tin. But yeah, yeah, that was very much, and and, that, and that's what got me through. I mean, don't get me wrong; those first couple of weeks were horrendous. You know, I was moody. I wasn't sleeping, but I was sweating in the night. I was just missed it so much. I really, really missed it, which is a ridiculous thing to say. You know, like I've missed a best friend. Like I was grieving wine. I was grieving alcohol. And that sounds so sad to say that, but it's how I felt. You know, I was missing something. But also what came in those first few weeks was this, she was like, I'd open the floodgates, like all the pain, all the alcohol that I had been drinking, that had masked everything that had gone on, you know, for the last few years, just came crashing in. Because it was, as we've said, it was a coping mechanism. I was not really dealing with my emotions around Isla. I wasn't really dealing with my emotions about my brother Lee dying. You know, yes, I was grieving and I was sad, but because I was drinking, I wasn't really feeling it. And I knew that. That's why I needed the counsellor, because I needed to get that out. But it still came crashing down and it was it was rough the mm-hmm. first two weeks especially. But you know, and it and it does get less. And like you said, the shame on top of that, the shame of the things you've done, things that you thought you had forgotten about. Mm-hmm. You, you know, when you have the blackout, suddenly like, oh my God, that from three years ago, oh my God. Yeah. And then you think, well, do I say sorry now? And I think I'm I would spend the rest of my life apologizing probably mm-hmm. and I think it's a bit I was like well you just got to accept that you did that that wasn't who you are that's mm-hmm. not who yeah. that's not you you're a different person I'm sorry for the drunk me it's almost like I want to put something on Facebook or Instagram I'm, I'm so sorry for the drunk me if you ever met me um yeah that's not me I'm so you know like a collective I don't have to go around individual people it's just like I'll cover everybody in one hit but you know I'm not going to do that um you have to accept it happened and you have to just move on yeah yeah that's right it's difficult but it's doable really hard but it is doable and you know it, it yeah you can get through it yeah you know I didn't think I I don't even think anybody around me apart from you know Frank I think probably even my family my mum probably thought oh I don't think this is going to last long I mean she's probably going to listen to this and go I would never have said that (laughs) you know I think think people probably did think I don't think Donna could ever give up alcohol because I was that of a drinker yeah, I, I was exactly the same. I and and also I had done it before a couple of times. You know, given up sort of temporarily. Not, I wasn't in. Yeah, I wasn't quite in the right mindset to make it long term. The two times previously, um, but so therefore I also had that. And I'm quite faddy as well. Like I get very over enthusiastic about lots of things, and I learn very deeply about lots yes. of things. <laughs> so, I do that. I have to know everything. Yes. 
Yeah, knowledge is power, 100%. Give me all the knowledge. Um, that's very much me. So I think there was that feeling as well of when I got sober this time, it was, oh, here we go again. Oh, here we go. Yeah. You know, she's doing it again. Another one of her thing. And, you know, that annoyed me as well. Yeah. You know, because it's like, is it? it's not helpful. It's kind of mocking you. For yeah. I mean, and actually it's a part of my that part of my personality, that hyper, that hyper focus bit, or that very enthusiastic bit of my personality, I had spent a lot of time, I think, feeling a bit embarrassed about that, or like laughing it off as yeah. a big butt of a joke. Now I think it makes me a complete superstar. I love that part of you now. I don't let anyone you know try and criticize put me down I don't get defensive about it I'm just like I love this about me I'm so yeah. sorry if you can't cope with it but that's your problem <laughs> I love this about me so it's just funny isn't it like now I think when you've got that space and that time to reflect and to think about things which I do feel is an evolving process um yeah, like it's it still is. happening for me and it will still happen for you I think it still happens to everybody who's been through Everything that journey different. yeah of kind of stopping but it does give you that space and time to to look at things and then put things away for a bit and then maybe go back and look at it again <laughs> and it's it's evolving and it's it's growth and I think that is really lovely not to have like to have that time and focus to be able to do that when you need to and to cope when you need to and know that you can get through things because alcohol just it robs all of that doesn't it really it just takes yeah. takes the opportunity away from you to explore your life and how you feel mm -hmm. and, and and learning and growing it just robs that absolutely and then having once I'd say it was it was probably a month afterwards I kind of I said to Frank I was like I'm not going to drink again you know it, it, I, like I said to you it started with until I can moderate and then you know a while later I was like no, I don't think. And he's like, you think? And then he wasn't really, he's like, oh, I'm sure you will. And actually it was a Sunday morning and I and I made, I didn't make him, I was like, right, listen to this podcast and it was one of yours. And he listened to it and at the end he was like, okay, I get it. Oh, I love that. Yeah, he was like, I absolutely get it. Because um, I was like, I, I just know, like even if like a month later, if I had had a drink, I wouldn't stop. I'd be like, I haven't drunk for a month. Woo! I've, I've heard this. Definitely. I don't have a stop valve. I don't have yeah. the ability to yeah. moderate. So yes, I don't ever want to go back there again. I don't ever want to feel that way again. So I just don't drink again. Yeah. And that's okay. It's okay. It, and it's yeah. really simple as well. Yeah. It's really simple in that um, moderation just doesn't work for me. I cannot make it work. I cannot make it work and I have stopped battling and trying and letting myself down yeah. and I've just let it go it's like a paper boat on the water bye-bye it's gone <laughs> and it's okay it's a relief to have that oh. I think it's a relief and that's what I what I really really love about this and this is why I think these kind of these earlier stories are so important is that 
I don't know if I've met anyone that's got sober that hasn't had that relationship with moderation before they've got sober, oh, which is like, absolutely. if I could just learn how to drink better, I, everything would be fine. 99% of people have to <laughs> yeah. be the same, yeah. really have to be the same. Yes. Otherwise you wouldn't really, be there, would you? No, exactly. And they don't realise that if you're even at that place where you are contemplating trying to moderate, it, you're already screwed <laughs> it already ain't happening you know maybe it happens for like two percent of people like some people can actually do it but nearly most can't most can't and why take the risk you know why, why take the risk of chasing that um because it just holds you back it does hold you back and like I'm saying like I, I, I felt like I was functioning well enough and I was I was functioning on alcohol well enough and then once you know I would say not until really about January because Christmas was a big thing you know I remember someone saying to me you're giving up alcohol right now before Christmas I was like yeah. if I don't if I don't do it now yeah if I give myself the path I said I'm not going to do it it has to be right now oh, um, so getting I needed to get through Christmas and I would say it was kind of like mid-January where I felt completely there was no more fog, there was no more weight, there was no real fighting every day not to drink, not to have a drink. And I actually didn't find Christmas that hard at all, really. Um, yeah. I talked about it a lot, which I think helps. Um, but yeah, I, until I got that clarity, I was like... You know, I'm boosting my business now. I'm more present, you know, so much more clarity. I'm thinking much better and, you know, and, you know, my future. Like, there's so many plans. And I think six months ago, I didn't have the capacity to do that because there was still that bit of brain fog going on where alcohol really was holding me back. But you just don't think because you can do your job and you can function every day. It's not until you're out of that cycle that you realise how much it was holding you back. Mm. Yeah, it's it's catch-22, isn't it? Because you have to properly, with your mindset, you have to properly get out of that cycle yes. in order to get and the benefit. Uh, yeah, but it's difficult because you know it, it it's it can be it's just so trapping isn't it because it's like if you don't get yourself into that mindset where you're actually gonna really consider stopping and, and making this for good you don't get the rewards and the benefits you just yeah. don't something holds you back but getting to that place where you can actually say this is it I'm 100% properly going for it is yeah. just so frightening for so many people. So it's it's just that, that cycle. I've, I've, I've seen people go through that cycle so many times that, that want to stop, but they just can't get, for whatever reason, mo more than likely just that bit of mindset. It's yeah. just not quite in that right place. There's there's one or 2% of, of, of their the desire is still there you know that alcohol is the glamorous thing that you need to do to enjoy weddings or oh, the God, yeah. I mean, or this that and that the other and it's petrified me I was like almost a point of who am I when I'm not drinking am I can I go out to a party can I still you know I go into room I'm going here let's have some fun how do I do that without how, how do I dance you know when I'm drunk I'm like 
God, I'm a good dancer in my head. Yeah. How, how do I do that? And we went to, actually, for all of the whole Christmas period, the one thing I was concerned about is for New Year's Eve, we were going to this place called Peacestone Court. It's actually where we're having our wedding later this year. Um, I thought I'd try getting married for a third time. You never know. They were having a dinner um, music and fireworks. And I was thinking... How, and that was my worst fear. How how um, is the champagne arrival? Yeah. There's gonna be alcohol flowing. What's dinner? How do I dance? How am I gonna? How am I not going to have a drink? Yeah. Um, and I, so I rang the hotel the day before, and I was like, "Look, I've gone sober. Do you have non-alcoholic options?" I said, "I'm really concerned about you know the champagne arrival." And they were like, "We'll get you some no second." And they did. Oh, they brilliant. went out. No secco. They got a couple of oh. bottles. They kept filling my glass up for me all night. That's lovely. I still and I did. I danced slightly awkwardly to start with, and then I just looked yeah. at everybody else and I was like, "Well, you all can't dance anyway, and you're drunk, so I'm just <laughs> going to do what I do. What I want to do. What I want to let my body go." And it was fine. And I had a really great time. And chill was the best thing. I woke up knowing I had a great time, remembering everything and not feeling crap for the whole of New Year's Day, like I would have done oh. in previous years. What a boost that mm, is. It was a massive boost. Yeah, that's a big boost of confidence. That's a big bit in the evidence cup. But it, but it's it's those moments. It's holding your hand through those moments and realizing, oh my God, I can do this. Actually, not only can I just scrape through this, I can have a good time. You want to go, get past the weirdness of dancing, I can just enjoy it as much as everyone else. And I think when you do go to bed and you, you get you get up the next, you rest well, you get up the next morning and you feel fresh, it's New Year's Day, it's so different to all the other New Year's days yeah. you've had. And you reflect back on the night and you think there's there was nothing missing in that night Nothing yeah it's like wow this is then you're really onto something I think and it's yeah. that I think it's just it's repetition <laughs> and practice it's just doing those sorts of things not necessarily that glamorous but even yeah. just getting through Fridays or you know having yeah. a Sunday lunch out on a Sunday or meeting up with a friend and not drinking the way you normally would it's all of those things that rack up that propel you into that zone of God, I there's life is perfect without it. I don't need it. You know, it's not giving Absolutely. me anything. And that's kind of what you know people need to know is that it, yeah, it is hard, but the rewards are they're massive. They're so much better. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. And so, yeah. on that note, what would you say your top three tips are um, for getting sober? I had a bit of think about this earlier when you when you said about this question. So I think really it's about telling people, you know, building building your your support network, those people that are closest to you, you know, tell them, you know, it, it's going to hurt. It's but it's not going to hurt as much as you think it is. Saying it, it's saying it out loud, is so you know therapeutic so cathartic it's it's yeah you need to, to build your network I think is one of the top tips and then follow people on Instagram people like you there's so many people out there listen to podcasts do your research deep dive into you know it was one of the things I knew the 
really I knew the effects of alcohol on your body, but I ignored it. I, I you know, an article would come up, I'd read the first time, I'm like, oh, I don't need to read that. I would ignore it, but just immerse yourself in in everything. You know, my poor liver, I feel for my liver, you know, and I'm very grateful that it didn't pack out on me. It like really, really deserved it, you know, and the rest and your brain and all, you know, just... Yeah, knowledge is power, as I've said many times. Um, and the third one, I think, is just keep talking about it. I found that really good. So we had, um, just to be honest, and I'm never sure whether I'm going, well, I wouldn't lie anyway, but when I say be honest, just tell people. When we had a, a couple of days before Christmas, we got all of our children together, Frank and I, and had a kid's Christmas. Um, and I said to Frank, so I'm probably not going to tell you kids. We'll just say, we'll just say I'm not drinking and then they got there and, and Charlie, Frank's oldest daughter, said, why are you not drinking? And I just went, Blair. And she went, oh, yeah, fair enough. I just told her. I said, look, I can't moderate my drinking, so I'm not drinking. She said, oh, yeah, fair enough. And then we just moved on, you, you know. And brilliant. It's, yeah, it's brilliant. So I think saying it out loud, the more you say it out loud and the more it, it just feels each time there's a little bit more weight off your chest about it. And people are so accepting. I've not, like, to come across... Anyone, only like my my little nephews, like 16 and 17, when I saw them recently, they're like, oh, you're not going to drink for your wedding? I said, yeah, I'll drink for my wedding. I'll have no Secco. I'll have, you know, non-alcoholic champagne. Yeah. You know, it's it's absolutely fine. I don't need to drink. You know, I, I'm spending lots of money. I want to wake up the next day and remember every single moment. Yeah. You know, without alcohol. So, those, but everybody is accepting. Yeah. Learn yeah. to not be ashamed because there is no shame in it. There isn't. And and I got married in 2021 and I oh. had the best wedding ever. I I, I I dread to think what my wedding would have been like if I was still drinking. Carnage is all yeah, I could say. But I... I just, I just, you know, sometimes people say, oh, it goes so quick and it's over in a flash. And I just really felt really present throughout the whole day. And I felt every little stage of it. And I was really in the moment. And it didn't, it didn't fly by in five minutes. You know, I really enjoyed, I felt like I enjoyed the day. And yeah. I had lots of nice conversations. I danced, I ate great food. And I just had my kids around. It was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah. And my friends drank and 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 that was fine. Yes. Like we put wedding on, we put sorry, we put um wine on the tables. You know, I didn't want everyone to like you, I didn't want people to yeah. feel like they couldn't drink or I didn't want to kind of penalize people for drinking just because I don't drink. You know, we made sure everyone had whatever the amount of wine was per head, but that there was a, a free bar in the evening for some of the night and just bits and pieces like that. Yeah. Like that was fine, you know, and, and it was a lovely day. So you'll have a wonderful day, I'm sure it will yeah, be. It will yeah, it will be lovely. Um and you'll feel so proud as well, I bet, because I do I have found that sometimes for me, the people that perhaps were a bit like, oh God, I can't believe you're doing this, or oh, it's gonna be this is gonna be rubbish, or you're gonna, you know. And then what happens is some people say, Oh, I'm so proud of you, and you look so happy, and mm-hmm. I wish I could do what you do. I wish I could do it, but I can't, you know. And I think, well. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, of course you can, but, but you know, I, I understand that people, I think it sometimes almost becomes something people can then start to envy, which is a weird change I think, of perspective. I think it's starting to go that way, you know. Yeah. There's 
youngsters i mean so many student union bars have closed because students aren't drinking they're choosing not to drink um mm. you know there's so many options out there for low alcohol no alcohol mm. free drinks you know the options are there i think it's great really yes. really great it's brilliant yeah i read a, a a feature i don't know if it's still the case now but it was a few months ago and it was saying how um half of people going out in the uk are now drinking low or no alcohol options. I read that oh, too. Oh, yes. that's, that's unbelievable. <laughs> Blew my mind reading that. But yeah, that's progress. Um, it so really it's good. good yeah, it's brilliant. So where can we find you? Uh, and yeah, follow follow your journey. Yeah, I'm I'm on Instagram. I'm not very exciting, but you're welcome to, to take a look in. It's Donna dot Elliot with two T's, two hours and two T's, thirteen. Donna dot Elliot thirteen. Two hours, two T's and thirteen. Two hours, two T's. Yeah, cool. Um, oh, Donna, it's been so good to talk to you. Thank you so much for being so open and sharing your story. I genuinely think of all the listeners that are under 74 days, just going to get so much from this, especially people that are in their first week, two weeks, I just think hearing your story and how honest you are about it and how you've sort of come through, you know, you've broken through the other side. And, And what's so lovely about that as well is I, I just think it just keeps getting better. You know, that is a line that a lot of people throw around. And sometimes you feel a bit like, well, but yeah, but does it really? But I, I genuinely it think it does. I genuinely um, think it does. Too. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. And so people will take a lot of comfort from mm-hmm. hearing your story today. So I'm very grateful. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for letting me tell my story. It's been really, really good to, I was nervous, but actually it's been really good to say it out loud in another yeah. context. So thank you very much. Oh, it's my pleasure. And to everybody else, thank you very much. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you're interested in being a guest, please contact me directly on Instagram by sending a message to at Sassy Sober Mum. You can also find helpful tools and resources on my website, sassysobermum.com. If you enjoyed the podcast and you want to spread the love, please like, share and rate the podcast. I really look forward to next time. See you then.